Good to see you all here today. Let me give you an update about what happened here yesterday. We had our Christmas store. We had over 70 families that came through here. That we, Yeah, give praise to God for that. And it was such an awesome opportunity to share the love of Christ. We kept hearing over and over again from people who said, everybody here is so happy and kind and loving. And it was just such a great opportunity. So thank you so much for your donations, for offering to serve, for every part that you played. It was just a glorious, glorious time. So thank you so much for that. We started a new series last week that we called All I Want for Christmas. And last week we started off with the fact that all I want for Christmas is some peace and quiet. And we talked about what really it means to have peace, that, that we are looking for peace with God that comes from our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Peace of God in our hearts so we can overcome anxiety, stress, worry, and fear. And peace from God that we can be agents of his peace with those around us. And today... I want to focus on all I want for Christmas is a break from the fake. This is such a time in which people put on the mask and like everything's good, everything's just fine, but so much is just so false, so artificial. So fake. I mean, even our trees are artificial. They're not even real. For years, we've had it not complaining about artificial trees, if that's what you have. But for years, we've had artificial trees in our home due to allergies or pets or anything else. And this year, my young adult kids said, can we finally get a real tree? So actually, we're going to go out and do that tomorrow. Pray for us. Pray for us. Because I don't know what this is going to look like or what's going to happen, but we're going to go for it and see if there's anything left close to a Charlie Brown Christmas tree tomorrow. So, But we want to focus on a break from the fake. Not in the way you typically would think of it. Because so often we think about not being fake. We think about being sincere. Not being a hypocrite. Being real. And that's true. And that's important. But I want to go a different direction. I want to go the direction of so often it's so easy for us to be phony with God. To not be honest with him. To not be honest with him in regards to our fears, our doubts, our questions. And to cause us to be caught in a painful situation of not sure what to do with them. See, doubts can be a tricky thing. There's two different responses. There's our society as a whole that almost gives a condescending attitude to anybody who says they believe anything, who has any belief of any foundation of any form, and so it's kind of like, yeah, 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 you'll see through it sooner or later. But it was C.S. Lewis who said this, you can't go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. To see through all things is the same as not to see at all. See, so you come to a point and C.S. Lewis says, no, you can't always be looking to see through things. Or 
There's the opposite extreme where there's Christians who will tell you, you shouldn't doubt. If you're a good Christian, you shouldn't doubt. You shouldn't have any doubts whatsoever. I mean, God said it. You should believe it. That should settle it. That's foolishness. Because you know what? Sometimes you do have doubts. And is there any wonder why so many young adults are leaving the faith when we stand up and say, well, you shouldn't doubt. You shouldn't have those doubts. You shouldn't have those kind of questions. The Bible doesn't support either of those responses. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at the nativity account. And we're going to look at two people who doubted. But two people who had different responses to what God had to say. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, is there a good doubt? Or is all doubt bad? And can I truly be honest with God when I've got questions and I've got doubts? Before I look at the passage, I want you to look at I want to set the background. Before this event took place, the children of Israel had not heard from God for 400 years. Do you realize how long that is? 400 years, that means for four centuries, there was no message from a king, a prophet, or a priest. Think about how old our country is. Founded in 1776. But think about this. This was 400 years. No message whatsoever. Nothing. Nothing from God. God was silent to the people. And all of a sudden, God enters into the scene and speaks to an old priest, his old wife, and a 15-year-old girl who lives in an obscure village. And God intervenes, and as a result, he has a message for them. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you, or you can follow on the screen. And we're going to look at two different accounts. And there's going to be certain pictures you're going to be able to see here of how two different people responded when God said he was going to do something. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Read this with me. Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Stop there. It's saying here, Zechariah and Elizabeth were godly people. They were people who were blameless. They were following what God told them to do. But then look at the next verse. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they both were very old. So we find here they're filled with disappointment and in these days, shame. Because if you did not have a child, it was looked upon as if God was not blessing you for some reason. So picture this. Here's one of the priests and his wife, and they're walking around with this badge of shame. And people are saying, how come? What's going on in your life, Zechariah? What's taking place here that you don't have a child? And it says they were blameless, they were righteous, but they were highly childless in regards to the fact their old age. Here's the point, my friend. Listen to me, listen to me. Godly people experience disappointments. Godly people 
experience pain, discouragement, and disappointments. Godly people have children who wander. Godly people struggle with medical issues. Godly people struggle with emotional difficulties. Godly people have goals that are not realized. You know why? This isn't home. We're on a journey, and home is yet to come. And we've been fed a lie if we think because we're walking in obedience to God, all of our problems should all be gone. Que sarah, sarah, everything's going to be wonderful. We can sit around the campfire and all sing kumbaya, throw the marshmallows in the fire, and all say life is good. Sometimes it's not. Can I have an amen to that? Godly people experience disappointments. And I get so concerned when I hear from followers of Christ who are wondering, say, why am I going through this? It's part of the fall. It's part of our brokenness, that we live in a broken world and broken situation. Godly people experience disappointments. Read on verse 8. Now, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, here's what happened. During this time, there were 180,000 priests. They were all over the place. And so, as a result, many of them lived outside of the city in the country. And so, they would draw lots as to who would be able to go into the Holy of Holies and bring the incense representing the people, the prayers of the people of God. And when you were chosen, your name was then crossed off the list and you were never able to do it again. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, if ever. So we find that Zechariah is chosen to go in. And what would happen, the whole nation would gather together outside of the temple to pray. And the priest would go in with the censer, representing the incense of the prayers of the people. And it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And Zechariah got chosen. Read on. And when the time of the burning of incense, verse 10, came, all the outside assembled worshipers were praying. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, read it with me, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Read it with me. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. So the angel appears to the right of the altar of incense and says, Zechariah! Your prayer is answered. Not only your prayer for a child for you and Elizabeth, but Messiah is going to come because that's what he'd been praying for. And Zechariah, she's going to have a child, and you need to understand this, Zechariah. And he explains what's going to happen with this, this child. Go down to verse 18. And Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my wife is well along in years. We find, if you just look at this passage, you'll see in verse 18, circle that where it says, how can I be sure of this? Zechariah is saying, I'm not sure I understand. How can I, how can I know this is true? How can I know you're really going to do this? How can I know that God's really going to come through? And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. 
In other words, what Gabriel is saying, dude, an angel is standing before you. Is that not enough? See, there was never an angel standing before the altar of incense. And he's saying, Zechariah, look it up in the book. There's no angel that normally stands here. Zechariah, don't you get it? I'm the one who stands before God, who's come here to tell you what God is going to do. Do you not understand this? Read on. And now you'll be silent. You want to know what's going on? Now you're going to be quiet. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because, read it with me, you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. See, what we find is you got to circle that because that's very, very important to contrast what's going to happen in the future story. Zechariah, the angel says, is you don't believe God. You don't trust God. You doubt God's word. You doubt what God says he's going to do. And before we get too hard on Zechariah, look in the mirror. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. He says, Zechariah, you're doubting God. And he makes it clear he wasn't just questioning God. He was in such a point the scripture says, you doubt God. You doubt God, the one whom I stand before and the one I'm standing before you right now. You doubt that he can keep his word. Now, hold that in your head. Go down to verse 26. Now, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, same guy to a virgin pledged to a married to be a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Read the next part. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. She was greatly troubled. And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary said, since I'm a virgin? Now, Mary's response is different than Zechariah's response. Zechariah's response was, no way. God can't do that. Mary's response was, I'm confused. How can this be? I'm a young virgin who's never been with a guy. How can this be? And notice the difference in her response. And we see what the angel says. The angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in, your old, in her old age. And she was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. Or with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Do you see the two differences? Zechariah responds and says, 
I don't get it. No way. And the angel says, you didn't believe God. So you're in time out for nine months. Mary says, I'm a bit confused. How can this be? And God blesses her and graces her. How can this be? See, there's a difference between proud doubt and humble doubt. There's a difference between proud doubt. Proud doubt comes out of disbelief and says, no way. There's no way God could ever do that. I don't believe it. Case closed. That's stupid. I got no response to that. Humble doubt says, I'm confused. I don't understand. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God stands up against the proud heart that says, there's no God. God says, the person who says that is a fool. But someone who says, I'm not sure. Is there a God? Is there one that I can trust? I mean, is this word really true? God takes that person and opens up their heart and says, let me answer your questions. That's why we offer something called a starting point. A safe place where people can come and ask those kind of questions. And my folks, folks in my ministry, I see it all the time. People who come up to me and say, so, pastor, where'd Cain get his wife? I don't know. And they're asking, they're trying to trip me up to trick me versus someone who says, pastor, I, I'm not sure. Did he really create the world in six days? Is that what it really means? See, there's a difference between proud doubt and humble doubt. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. A preacher back in the um, 1800s, who great preachers said this, doubt is a foot poised to go forwards or backwards in faith. See, you can go forward in doubt or you can go backward depending on your heart where your heart is. Tim Keller, preacher in New York City, preaching a sermon on Luke 1, said there's a difference between dishonest doubt and honest doubt. Dishonest doubt, Keller says, is the response when someone reads God's claims and says, that's impossible, that's stupid, I don't want to hear anymore. Where honest doubt says, I got some questions. What's this got to do with being real and fake? Mary was real. Mary was real. God, I'm not sure I understand. And you know what God wants you to have for Christmas? The freedom to be real in your questions with God. When things don't always make sense. Anybody here, show of hands, ever been in a situation where things didn't make sense? Yeah. The rest of you in denial? All right. Right. We've all been there, right? We don't know. And so as a result, this conflict of doubt, and I was able to come up with a number of comparisons by, by compiling stuff together from people that are so much smarter than me. But let me, let me just give you a list of what they've said. Doubt doesn't disqualify you. Unbelief does. See, when someone says, I won't believe, and takes it to their grave, that disqualifies you to be a child of God. Doubt doesn't disqualify you. Doubt is not the opposite of belief. Unbelief is. Doubt says, 
I'm having a hard time here. Unbelief says I refuse to believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt says I know I could do this if I had the strength. It's often what we go through. We're going through trials. God, I, I know you said you're there for me. And I want to believe it. Help my unbelief. That's humble doubt. Unbelief is, can't trust God. Doubt keeps searching for the light. Unbelief is content in the darkness. Doubt says, I'm not sure I know what God thinks. Unbelief says, I don't care what God thinks. Doubt can turn toxic. Doubt your doubt before you doubt your faith. Let me say it again. Doubt your doubt before you doubt your faith. And when you think about what that means, if I'm going to be real with my doubts, how can I be real with my doubts? I don't want you to be fake anymore. You know what I want for Christmas? I want Christians who are willing to be honest and say, sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I'm going through a difficulty. Sometimes I don't have all the answers. This past week, I'd finished my fourth funeral in five weeks. And I was, it was a funeral of a lady in our church, 94 years old, loved Jesus, just followed Jesus, was a witness for Jesus. And I, I finished that funeral, and she was a close friend. And I was driving home, and all of a sudden, I felt this overwhelming sadness coming on my heart. And I just started to cry. And I pulled off to the side of the road, and I texted some real close friends of mine that are leaders in this church, and I said, please pray for me, because right now I'm feeling compassion fatigue. And I want to be strong enough to minister this weekend. And you know what's so cool? For those who are able, I got responses back. It says, I'm praying for you right now. And I said, I'm all, I appreciate your prayers, and I want those. And tonight I'm going to take my wife on a date, and we're going to go to the movies, and we're going to go at dinner, and we're going to have fun, and we're going to recharge. And you know what I found happen? My heart started to lift up. See, when we're honest with ourselves and say, sometimes I'm just exhausted. And I don't know if I can take another step. I don't know if I can handle another question. I don't know if I can handle one more thing. And then God says, that's what I'm looking for. All I want for Christmas is some Christians who are willing to say, I don't have it together, and I need someone else to encourage me, to pull me through it, and that it's okay sometimes if I doubt. It's okay if I don't know how it all fits together. That's what I want for Christmas. Because I find that so real. So, so how do you deal with your doubts? Number one, admit your doubts. Be honest. Take the mask off and say, God, I'm scared. God, I'm confused. God, I don't know. There's an account in Mark chapter 9 where this boy was possessed with a demon. And Jesus was ready to, to cast the demon out. And the father said to the boy, I love this, he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's humble doubt. And that's okay. Admit your doubts. Number two, remember your God. Remember your God. I began to think through, who is this God that we worship? He's our rock. 
He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our present time of help in time of trouble. Scripture says, taste and see the Lord is good. The Scripture says, the one who puts their trust in him will never be ashamed or disappointed. Remember your God. Admit your doubt, but remember your God. Number three, grasp his love. Scripture says this, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Grasp his love. Next, search the scripture. Search the scripture. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, My thoughts aren't your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. So when you're sitting there and you're saying, God, what are you thinking? He's saying, you're not going to know what I think all the time because my ways are different than your ways. My thoughts are different than your thoughts. But you know what? I love you. Grasp hold of my love. Search the scripture, because the scripture, Romans 10, 17, says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. You know what I need to do to feed my soul so I can trust God when I got doubts is I got to get in the word, and I got to read about how he comes through over and over and over again, and he never will disappoint us, and we don't have to be afraid. J.D. Greer, who wrote a book, that we were studying in our Wednesday night study on the Holy Spirit is a great quote. Look at this quote. Humble doubts lead to deep faith. I love that. Humble doubts lead to deep faith. When Mary was told by the angel, nothing will be impossible with God. Think of this, folks. Look at me. Think of this. If she hadn't expressed her doubt, we never would have heard that great faith-building statement. With nothing, is impossible with God. And the key to Mary's response is found in verse 38 where she said, I'm the Lord's servant. Be it unto me as you said. Just as Christ did when he was in the garden and he says, there's any other way. Take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. Because he's submitted to the will of the Father. Listen, my friends, doubt your doubt before you doubt your faith. There's humble doubt. And humble doubt is being real. You know what I want for Christmas? I want to see a church filled with Christians that are sick of being fake, that are going to be real and honest and rugged and raw and say sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. Sometimes I'm strong and sometimes I'm weak, but you know what? God never changes. That's what I'm looking for. And what God wants to do, he wants to see all of us understanding that we are truly sincere, that we are truly those people that though we're broken, we got hope. Where we're broken, we're not cast down. But we may have doubts, we may have disappointments, but God will never disappoint us. And so we need each other to hold each other up. And all I want for Christmas is some Christians will be honest and transparent about their doubts and choose to move forward in spite of them all. Because that's what the world is looking for, is real people who don't have all the answers, but they know who does. And they point them to God. They point him to him, 
and they say, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Humble doubt is what God calls us. That's what I want for Christmas. A break from the fake, real, transparent people who are broken, resting in the hands of a Savior who is broken for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just these pictures we have from Scripture to remind us of the power of your Spirit. Oh, Father, give my brothers and sisters faith today where there is doubt. Fill them with strength where there is weakness. And help them to know that though they have doubts, that you hold them in your arms and you fill them with your power. Give us faith to believe. Give us faith to trust. Give us faith to stand. Give us faith to reach out to others to help them stand as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand and let's call out to God. Say, Lord, I need you to soften my heart, to break me apart. Lord, I need you. Give me faith to see you. Let's worship together, please.